Hey, I want to um, bring a word to you this morning, um, but before I do, I just want to pull back the covers, if I could use that phrase, uh, to reveal a little bit of um, my preparation as I go into um, uh, preparing to, to teach. Um, and there's no need to dramatize this, but what I'm actually trying to do is just to, to let you know what's going on in my world. Um, and it's just about being transparent, but there's no drama. Uh, if, um, if you've been here this year, you'll know that we've started this series that, as you can see on the screen, our rhythm defines us. It was something that God said to us last year about the church, and he led me to this place where he helped me to see what God wanted to do as we were um, shaping ourselves by the scriptures. And um, I've also shared with you that in that preparation, God just unmapped the pathway for us. I had the messages for the entire year mapped out, um, six different sections. Funnily enough, each had four little parts to it, and, and I was on track with that, essentially helping us to step into the revelation that God calls us an apostolic church. And I'm pretty excited about that. And as I was um, traveling recently, I was doing my preparation and my research and my readings and I really felt like the Lord arrested me. And, um, and uh, if you know me well, you'll know that when I've got some momentum going, I don't really like slowing down or getting arrested. But um, God likes to do that, for me anyway. And um, he, he said this, he said this uh, thing to me. And um, it's, a, it's an African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go together. And as I processed this, I really felt like God was saying to me, Hey, buddy, you're running a bit fast. Slow down, come back, draw back. And, and so that's what I've been meditating on. And, and I really feel like God was saying to me that on the back end of our series last year, which was called Belonging, where we understood and unpacked what it meant to be part of this community of faith. Um, God just wants to do a bit more work there. And if I hear what he wants to do, then I'm okay to do that. Because me continuing to do what I'd planned to do would actually be disobedience. So I'm being honest and I'm telling you uh, what it is that I'm uh, looking to do. So I want to do that from the book of Ephesians. So turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to unpack this. I'm going to do my best to unpack this passage. We'll see how that works out um, because it's pretty meaty. Uh, let me read it to you while you're swiping your screen or turning your page. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, continuing in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, because of this amazing revelation he's just shared in chapter 3, I, Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And one God and Father, who is over all and in all and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, 
When he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try and trick us with lies. So clever, they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Man, that's a meaty passage. So let's see in 30 minutes if we can't chew on it a bit. Hmm. Anyway, uh, we'll see how that works out. What I've done is I've, I've, I've grouped this um, passage into six sections just looking at the way Paul has written the text and what we can take from it, some of these um, will apply to you and some of them won't apply to you. So what I'm hoping is in a wide group like this that there'll be something for everybody to chew on. Um, I will make sure this page um, is available uh, on the podcast for download for those that are listening so they can see what it is I'm pointing to. But you can see we have the affirmation at the beginning. We have Paul talking about an attitude that we must adopt action that gets taken by individuals. I'll talk about that. And what is the aim of that action? Well, it's, it's really important that we understand that. We'll talk about what the attack is that comes against the unity that Paul's writing about. And finally, uh, the aspiration, the hope with which we would live in unity as one people. So this is what we're going to unpack today. And we're going to do that as we look through the first 16 verses of Ephesians chapter 4. Starting at the beginning, I want to talk about this, the affirmation. What I love about Paul as a writer is he is consistently building us and affirming us as disciples of Jesus. He's constantly saying, hey, I see you and I love you. I want you to know how much I pray for you. May you understand the richness of the love that I have for you because of what God has done for me. He's always affirming us. And what we can see here is it's really, really important that we know whose we are. Now, on the back end of Easter, this should be a message that is very fresh in your minds and your hearts. We just talked all last weekend and experienced what Jesus Christ did as the Son of God when he came to earth for each one of us that we might know him. Our freedom comes as a result of his sacrifice. Our abundant life comes as a result of his resurrection. He now sits, as we just heard Richard's communion message, he sits in heaven interceding for us. There's no accident that you're here. There's no accident that you're walking in this journey of faith, whatever that looks like for you. Paul urges us to live a life worthy of our calling. So don't settle for anything less. Don't make choices where you gamble your destiny 
and do something that would lead you away from the calling of God. Paul says, I beg you, I urge you not to do that. Don't be so small-minded, Paul would say, as to give away the greatness and the magnitude of the calling that Jesus Christ paid for you. This point's on the screen also, live with humility. Paul urges us to live with humility, which means to see ourselves as God sees us. You know, most of the ministry that I end up doing one-on-one with people is helping people to break off their self-concept and to adopt God's concept of who they are. That's 80% of my ministry time when I work with individuals because they're bound in the lies that would shape a different view of themselves than what God actually says. Be gentle, be harsh, don't control one another and live in patience, realizing that none of us are perfect. And finally, he, he makes this point. He says, make sure that you remain united in the Spirit. And, and Paul has labored this point right from the beginning of the book of Ephesians. I won't quote all the verses, but just um, Ephesians 2 verse 18. Now, Paul writes, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because what Christ has done. All of us come together to the same place of union in Christ. In verse 21, he writes, we're carefully joined together in Him, meaning Christ, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Paul is saying you are already bound in spirit. Let's not do something that would break down that unity or destroy the bond that Jesus Christ has formed. In the context of that, I want to talk about family. I want to talk about us. I want to make sure that this scripture, bound in unity, is something that we grasp for the community that we're a part of. If you're a visitor here, you're welcome you're welcome to be part of our family. If you've been here for a long time, then you have heard me talk and talk and talk about family. This page here is what we call our value statement. This is what is on our website. This is what I refer to when I do team meetings. This is what I talk about when I travel, about who is our church and what do we stand for. These four key words are our values. We're a family, number one, who gather around God's presence, number two, who live together in his love, number three, and who share in his truth, number four. We absolutely want to do everything we can, whilst we're not perfect, we want to lead and conduct ourselves in a way that invites people into a family, because that's how God demonstrates love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are other-centered love union of family, and that's what we would aspire to. We, we go after the presence of God. We linger when we, when we recognize it and we press in to make sure we, we, we can connect with what God's doing in that moment, which is what we just did. We value love and, and, and we make decisions with love as, a, as, as our primary um, yardstick. What does love look like in this moment that we might try and behave like that? And finally, God's truth, as you will see, is um, pretty much what we anchor ourselves on. But today, I want to zero in on family. And I want to bring the message from Ephesians 4 in the context of our value being family that we might grasp what God would say to us today. And to do that, I'd like to show you again, I apologize for repeating myself, I'd like to show you again a video that I love. Uh, This video I have played several times. I will probably play a few more times because it's one of my favorites. So I'm going to press play, and we're going to have some sound that's going to magically work. I'll get thumbs up from the back. Excellent. So, have we got sound? Can we get sound? No. 
You can't get sound. You could make sounds up. Pew, pew. So this is my favorite family in the world. I would also have to confess that, uh, and you would question my theology on this, but this family is a beautiful presentation of the church in action. Uh, not the uniforms, but, but the action uh, of what the church is doing in this movie. Um, fighting together against the baddies. That's a good thing. Mum and Dad turn up and they're like, oh, awesome. Oh, we love you. Oh, this is amazing. We didn't realize you wore a mask. This is awesome. Oh, hang on. Here we go. So just a little kick butt moment. Like I said, a beautiful picture of the church. Uh, so, so when the T-shirts come out, guess what they'll look like? Because of that video, um, I've kind of chosen an aggressive title for my message today. So if you're writing notes, this is the message of the title, Fighting for the Fullness of Family. And I want to speak from Ephesians chapter 4, and I want us to hear what God would say to us individually. What is God saying to me personally? That's, that's your responsibility. I'm going to share what God's given me. You be hearers of the word, and you be responders to what God's saying to you personally. All right, let's come together, and let's fight for the fullness of family in North End Church. Now, I'm going to jump ahead in the passage because I want to talk about the offense that's coming, uh, which is talked about by Paul, in order that we might understand why we've got to be united in the Spirit. So it's kind of like, here's the bad news, and so that we understand why we need the good news. All right, does that make sense? Are you all following? Okay, all right. So in verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes this. He's talking about unity and measuring up to, to, to being part of a family of God and, uh, and with Christ Jesus. And then he says this, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try and trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. What Paul's talking about here is the attack that the enemy will always bring when there's a group of people trying to be living in unity. It's, it's not uncommon. It shouldn't be a surprise. If you're a Christian for more than five minutes, you're going to realize that you get beat up every now and then because the enemy's trying to pull you down and, and uh, put holes in you. So I don't think you'll be surprised to hear me say that we have attacks that happen in the context of church family. There are times when we recognize the devil who is prowling around like a lion seeking to destroy what we're doing or people who are on a journey with us. You probably won't be surprised to hear that we roll up our sleeves and get engaged in spiritual warfare when we need to, which is all the time. That's just what we have to do. You, you probably won't be surprised to recognize that there's sometimes stuff that goes on where I need to put on my big boy pants, roll up my sleeves and just be a dad in the family because that's my role, and sometimes that's necessary. So verse 14 is talking about the recognition that there's an attack. If we're going to go after this thing called family unity, we've got to be prepared because sometimes an attack will come. We just have to be aware of that. Now, in the scripture, Paul is actually talking about false doctrine. He's saying, don't get messed up when some weirdo turns up and teaches you something that's not biblical. 
Don't be immature. Don't get thrown around. Don't get waving in your faith, in the faith, because you must not be misled. Now, I don't want to talk about it in the context of the false living um, based on false doctrine, but what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to alert us to the fact that there is an enemy and he is out to destroy what we're trying to do and we need to be aware of it. So that's why I'm doing this. So, so let me explain to you the two sides of what the devil tries to do, and I'll give you some examples, unfortunately, uh, which are close to home. What I'm trying to draw your attention to is the fact that the enemy is against us, and we've got to be aware of it. This week, the elders uh, met together. We had a wonderful time of prayer. Uh, thanks, Isaac, for bringing lollies. Um, it really uh, kept things moving along well. Uh, always pray better with sugar in your, in, in, uh, in your veins. Uh, and perhaps coffee, perhaps. Um, but I just want to say, I am really enjoying and I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the, the forming and the forging and the strength that's coming in the bond of the eldership of our church. And I say that to encourage you. We are working on that. We are working diligently on that in, in, in line with what God is leading us into. But for the sake of the church, I want you to hear that the, the elders are working really, really well together. Even though the enemy is trying to do something else. I've got three things on the screen there I want to point your attention to because we actually talked about three things that the enemy's doing against us. This week, we had to talk about gossip. This week, we had to talk about diversion and destruction that's going on. And this week, we also had to talk about something that's operating in the shadows. Because our job is to work and fight on behalf of you, the family of God. Gossip, for instance, occurs when people don't speak in love. They speak out of turn. They speak out of context. And they present something that is most likely, possibly even true, but not helpful. And the Bible is very, very clear what happens when people misdirect their words, not in line with what God's intentions are. And when you speak against the church, you're actually speaking against God. That's the reality. Diversion and distraction... Well, that occurs when people go out of their way to do something that pulls people down. They work, uh, sometimes without realizing it, against the purposes of God and what God is doing in people's lives. They're just out of tune with what the Holy Spirit's doing. And they make a comment or observation or choose a path of action that is completely destructive uh, and, and contrary to what God is doing. My mum used to say to me, confession time, my mum used to say to me, Philip, mm, you know you're in trouble when she does that, eh? There's only one other person that does that, and I also know I'm in trouble when that happens. She'd say, she'd say Philip, are those words building someone up or are they tearing them down? Rhetoric question, because my mum would only ask the question when I already knew the answer. She was like the Holy Spirit. She's like, she didn't ask for information's sake, she asked to help me see what was going on. Philip, are your words building people up or tearing them down? And the reality is all of us need to stop and consider the impact and the consequence of our actions and whether we're being constructive or destructive. And there are certain things that need to stop. But there's something else that we talked about as elders, and it's even more sinister. Um, we had this conversation, and it was brought up and brought to my attention that there's always a potential risk in a church, and this was highlighted from one of the elders having a previous experience in a different church. So... But they warned us of something, and I was like, man, I need to work through this, uh, which I've done this week. But there is a risk 
of a shadow church forming behind the scenes. When people try to align themselves and form what I call a subculture that goes against the culture that the leadership are trying to establish. It's like a shadow in the background that's lurking. And it's sometimes political and it's all about alignment and it's often driven by pride. But when not addressed, it splits a church and there are plenty of people sitting in here that know exactly what I'm talking about because you've walked through it before. But there's a big but. Big but. Because you see on the screen there, what I've done is I've drawn two sides to the model. And on the right-hand side is the human behavior. It's what you see. It's driven by uh, sometimes people's agenda, but often it's just people being manipulated and used as a tool by the enemy to bring about his tactics. And that's what the immaturity is. But on the left-hand side is actually the spiritual side of things. Because we know from reading later in the book of Ephesians that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but in fact we battle against principalities and powers and things of the spirit in order that we would go against the cause of what's happening. So you've heard me say this before. We don't attack the person or go after the person, but instead we go after the spirit that's at work in this environment that's trying to destroy what God would do. So I've been praying through this. You need to know that we got the pre-team onto it. You need to know the elders have come together, stomped around in their gumboots and done some warfare. But when I take this in prayer to the Lord, here's what he says to me. Ahab is a spirit that operates, that brings confusion. Ahab was the king of Israel. He was a bit of a weak man. And his, his behavior essentially stirred up dissension and confusion amongst the people of God. He wasn't very popular. And God has shown me that we've got to come against the spirit of Ahab so we can break down the power of confusion that's reigning in people's lives. There's some stuff that goes on, you can't explain it. Not logically, anyway. But we can come against it prayerfully. Interestingly, well, let's talk about Jezebel. Jezebel, when you have Ahab, you usually get his wife, Jezebel. She's the queen. She was a nasty piece of work. And if you want to have a really interesting story that should become a movie, like Hollywood would love this one, go and read about the life of Jezebel and what she did and how she manipulated and controlled people in order to destroy the work of God and the people of God. And when I'm praying through this, and and the Lord just says to me instantly, there's a Jezebel spirit that is manipulating and controlling people, and it's out to destroy the work that I'm trying to do. The good news is, when we know our target, we can be quite direct in our prayer. This is not something to get scared about because God's already won the victory. We just have to learn how to appropriate it. So don't worry. God is very clear in how he's leading us as a church. God is very clear how he's speaking to the leaders. He showed me specifically the events in our church history that gave the devil legal permission to do these two things. So what are we doing? Applying the blood of Jesus to everything God shows us by his spirit that we might see freedom fully recognized in the life of the church and its people. And then this last one was new to me on Tuesday. So I've, um, I've asked God about it, and, and he showed me something which was kind of a little interesting, so I had to do some research on it. But Paul, I mean, um, 
God took me to the, the king called Saul, which was one before David. Saul was a man, tall and handsome and chosen by God, and, and then he turned into an egg. That's the new interpretation version. <laughs> he fell out of favor with God because he made a mistake. And God said, I have lifted my favor from you, and I have chosen a man who has a heart after me. And I have already anointed him as the next king. And then what happened is God sent a tormenting spirit to operate in Saul's life, which meant he just became an even worse egg. And, and David was anointed the future king, but God showed me how Saul was still operating in that office because he hadn't been deposed yet, and there was a conflict happening between two kingdoms, one that was prophetically already established and one that was in the natural. And let me read to you, because I want to get the words right. This is exactly what God said to me in this moment. When someone tries to maintain something that the Lord has removed his blessing from, there's a huge risk of them trying to reinforce a subculture that is against what God has ordained for the people of God in their current season. The shadow. There's a fight going on when people try and live to build and enhance something that the blessing has already passed off. And we've got to be really careful that we're sensitive to what God's doing in the moment. And uh, I don't want to dwell on this part for too long, so the question is, how do we break all this? I only have one word, submission. We must all yield, me included. And I, I, I put a video up in the uh, um, event page for the encounter night. There's links to it online, but basically what I'm saying is there's only one God of the breakthrough, and it's the one we worship. And it's not me, and it's none of you. There is no special apostle coming in to wave his wand. We retreat. We yield, and God does the breakthrough. When we pray in a position of submission, God does his work, and that's what I'm looking forward to. And this is why I want to talk about family, because there's stuff going on, not to dwell on it, but to make sure that we are affirmed as a family, that we know whose we are, that we live together, and we're bound together by Jesus to live in peace and harmony. That's the promise. Don't set your sights on your natural circumstances. Set your sights on the promise God's given you and live in that perspective. And I want to talk about that now because we have to have the attitude of Christ Jesus. In the middle of the passage, there's this, there's this bit that I, I never actually really understood and I always would skip over it when I read Ephesians chapter 4 because I just genuinely didn't know what, what Paul was on about. He was like confused. However, we've given each one of us, he, Jesus has given each one of us gifts through the generosity of Christ, and then he quotes Psalm 68. That is why, I don't know if you can see it, it's indented, it's quoting a different passage, it's in the notes down the bottom here, Psalm 68 verse 18. When he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and he gave gifts to his people. Notice it says that he ascended. This clearly means he descended to our lonely world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended. I mean, this is confusing. Like, Paul, what are you on? He's tripping. But the truth is, he actually knows what he's talking about. What Paul is saying is Christ was up there and he came down here for your sake. And he went into the dark place and he took all the captives and he led captivity captive back into heaven in order that you would understand you're seated with him in heavenly places. That's what he's saying to you. He's not confused. But if you're not living from that attitude and perspective, perhaps you're the one that's confused. 
Don't look at your circumstances and define who you are. Look at what Christ did for you. He descended down to the place of captivity where you were bound in sin and death and shame and condemnation. And he says, you know what? I choose you. Like we just sung. He left the 99 and went and found the one and he restored you back to the Father's heart. That's the attitude that we've got to have. We've got to live in a place of Christ's reign that is supreme over all circumstances. When stuff happens, and it happens often, you know what I've learned to do is not get my knickers in a knot about it. Because Jesus Christ is still on the throne. Now, I might not be quite sure what's going on, but when I ask him, he tells me. Christ's reign is supreme in all circumstances. But the good news is, Christ has empowered you to do something about it. He's not coming back till we've won the victory. So he's empowered us to do it for him. We are empowered by Christ to operate with his authority. And in that authority, he says, you got given gifts, so you should use them. Says it right there. Each one of us got a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And that's why he went and rescued you. This has got to be your attitude. This has to be the perspective in life. This has to be the way that you choose to live. And there's only two ways you can live this out. It's multi-choice. You get to choose. Let's do a little assessment. Don't say your answer out loud. But are you living your faith actively or passively? Don't call the answer out. But it's only one or two options. Either you have positioned yourself with Christ, living in his victory, or you're shrinking back, worried about what's happening tomorrow. As a church, we are bound together in the unity of God's spirit in order that we would take his victory and make it real in our world. That's the attitude we've got to have. Let me just connect these two verses before I move on. This is like a little intermission. Grab your oranges. If you're looking at the scriptures, what I want you to see is verse 7 and verse 16 say the same thing. You got given a gift because of the generosity of Jesus Christ. And in the end of the passage, he says, Christ makes the whole body fit together as each part does its own special thing. So the gift you got given was not for your pleasure or enjoyment or a badge of honor for you to wear. It was a mandate, a commission, an assignment something to do. But here's my point in saying that. It's your gift in action that makes us full as a family. Without you doing your part, we're not complete. If you get anything out of this message this morning, make sure you get that point. You being passive is making us incomplete. And I don't mean that as a judgment or condemnation. You know me better than that. It's an invitation to be part of what God's doing. For the sake of his name in our town. So, action is required. What does it say in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12? Now we talk about the action. Are you guys okay? No one fallen off yet? Okay, verse 11. I'm just getting started. Almost finished my introduction. Verse 11. So if you're a visitor here, you just have to get used to that, I'm sorry. Uh, Now, Paul says in verse 11, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. These are called leadership gifts. The apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Number 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Well, that's quite clear. 
but we misinterpret that because we put a filter on it. So we look at the guy who's called to be the pastor or the one gets employed by the church on a Tuesday and we say, oh, thank God someone's going to do the work for us. They think, oh, well, you got called into ministry, so you do the ministry. Well, friends, let me tell you something. The moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were called to ministry. Same as me, same as you, every single one of us. We sign up for life with him. We sign up for the work he's got us to do. There is no separation between those who work in the church and those who are part of the church. We have the same mission. We just have different functions. But it is not dependent on me and a few in my team to go out and do the work of the church. That is not biblical. And we need to renounce that lie because it's not helping certain people. What is my role? It says it quite clearly. If you're a leader, your responsibility is to equip God's people for what purpose? Well, very clearly, your role is ministering to people. You see, the church will only function well if we're building people up so that they can be something to someone else. The one that disciples another, it's biblical. The two that go and bring the good news, it's biblical. The team that goes out and, 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 and does what God's called them to do. Your role is to minister to people. Let me read you a quote from something I read this week on this. The work of ministry belongs to the entire body of believers who should be equipped, guided, and encouraged by those who are gifted by God to expound and apply his word with wisdom and power. The entire body has received gifts from the Spirit, and it is the task of those in pastoral ministry to encourage the entire body to discover and exercise those gifts. When we rediscover the pattern and strategy of Ephesians 4, when we all have given all Christians in the body their God-given role as ministers of God's eternal plan, then the entire body comes alive with resurrection power. Lives are changed. Ministries explode. Communities are touched and healed. The church becomes healthy and vital and exciting again. When when you are activated in what God's given you to do. This is the action that Paul's talking about. You know, you want your friends to come to know Jesus Christ? It's up to you. You want a fresh sound of music in this church? It's up to you. You want young people to find Jesus and stay on a pathway that keeps them away from the trap of the enemy? It's up to you. You want to see discipleship and life groups and a hub of family activity in our church? It's up to you. You want different muffins on a Sunday morning? You get my point. Our role as leaders is to equip you, to encourage you, to edify you, to build you up, to mobilize you. My job is to see opportunities, build platforms for people, and put them on those platforms so they can exercise God's grace and gift in their life. That's what I do well. My job is to call you out prophetically to help you to see what God already said about you and encourage you and send you on your way. That's what leadership is. That's what the leaders do. That's what the team do. For our town to be one for Jesus Christ, we all got to step up and do what God's graced us to do. The good news is, there's a name for us in doing that. And it's found in verse 13. Actually, I want to read this to you from the Amplified. It's the female version of the Bible, because it has way more words in it. Um, But what I find is it's really useful to help us articulate what God's trying to say which is why I like reading the Amplified Bible. (laughs) 
verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 4 in the Amplified Bible says this, that it being the church might develop until we all attain oneness in the faith and in the comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge of the Son of God, that we might arrive at really mature manhood, which is the completeness of personality, nothing less than the standard height of Christ's own perfection, the measure of the stature of the fullness of the Christ and the completeness that's found in him. That's our aim, that we would be mature, that we would be um, recognizing the unity that he's already made available. And that would be working in our function or our role or in partnership in order that the fullness of what Jesus Christ came to earth for would be realized. And that's not going to stop until he comes back. When every single person has heard the message of Jesus Christ, when every single one that the Father foreknew would come into that place, fellowship and unity with him. Until that happens, we've got work to do. We've got to do it together. We've got to do it as a family. We've got to understand that we're bound by His Spirit already, and we just shouldn't break it. We shouldn't do stuff that pulls it down. The unity of the faith means alignment and doctrine. The knowledge of God's Son means not knowing who He is as in head knowledge, knowing who He is in heart knowledge. It's something that we Westerners kind of mess up because we get our heads into this logical process. No, God's not wanting you to have logical knowledge of the theory of, of his word. I mean, it's nice, but not the point. We read the word to understand who he is and get to know him. So what Paul's saying is he wants us to all come to the place where we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that we would personally and intimately know him as our savior, that we would have a, a relationship where we can talk to him about things and hear what he would say to us, this working, walking relationship with Jesus hand in hand. That's the whole point of what we do. If I could advertise what's happening on Tuesday night, I wanted to take a moment to encourage you to come. Because of all the stuff that's going on, about a month or six weeks ago, I really felt, Lord, say to me, we've got to lift the game in how we gather and how we pursue his breakthrough. So we booked on the calendar this breakthrough night. It was when I, just before I went to South Africa, so kind of like planning stopped because I was absent. Um, but this Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, we are having an encounter night. It's a time of worship. It's a time of ministry. And the point is, whatever your journey to get to here, God has got something for you to step into what he's wanting to lead you into next. For some people, there's brokenness. For some people, there's pain and trauma. It's like you've been hanging on so long, it's become your identity. God says, let's break that off. Let's step you into freedom. There's going to be some corporate prayers. There's going to be some personal prayers. There's going to be a time where we just allow God's spirit to minister to us. And it won't be the last one we do. Perhaps we could be like the people in the book of Acts. I think it's chapter 2 and 3 where they just gathered together all the time. Sharing in the Lord's Supper. Submitting themselves to the teaching of the apostles who taught the scriptures and explained who Jesus was praying in the Spirit, and seeing Him do miracles. Imagine if that was our normal. Fancy that. People might want to come and join us. You never know. Breakthrough night. It's about you having the space to connect with Jesus so that you truly know who the Son of God is. 
Paul also writes in verse 13 that we would come to the measure of the standard of Christ. This is about removing who we are or who we think we are in order to understand who he says we are. You know, we, I played a song a month ago and it's, it's on our Facebook page. We put the link up, but it's um, more like Jesus. More of you means less of me. It's pretty much the journey we all need to go on myself included, continually. More of you, less of me. And that's what the Breakthrough Night's all about. Let me finish by reading you the last two verses and working out what this aspiration is for us. Why, why am I giving this passage some attention? What is the hope that we could have as people of God? Paul writes in verse 15, instead, actually, can I get the band up? Let's do surrender. Let's do song four. Let's do it. Let's do it quiet, but let's do song four, if that's okay. That's a change of plan, sorry. Just um, call it a moment. Verse 15. Instead, instead of being tossed around by the enemy and freaking out by what's happening around us or being confused under influence of something we don't understand, Paul says, instead, we will speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He, Christ, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. Friends, we need you. I need you. I need you to be part of what God's doing here. It's my desire to see you flourish and be fruitful and and move in the grace and gifts that God gave you that he didn't give me. That we would all come to that place of unity that Jesus prayed in the garden where he said that they would see the unity, the world would see unity and know that I am your son. So are we growing more like Christ? Let me ask this as a question. Are you growing more like Christ? Are you using your gifts as we work together? Are you serving others so people are healthy and loved? May we be one as Jesus and the Father are one.